Empire. It took 20 years to bring back a sport that was ahead of its time. During the pandemic, it suddenly took off like wildfire on social media. There was a hashtag bring back slam ball that generated 200 million views. I think it's up to about half a billion by now. Huh. And it made us realize, well, maybe the time has come because live sports is now king. That's Mike Tolan, co-founder of Slam Ball, the acrobatic hoops game that recently was revived for a run on ESPN. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Everything has changed since Slam Ball had its first run on Spike TV. Distribution is different. Content engagement is very different. And there is a lot of tech that producers could play with to make the latest version of Slam Ball, the one that returned to ESPN this summer, more robust. Mike Tolan was one of the original visionaries. Our guest this week is Mike Tolan, who is the co-founder of Slamball, which just made its return to ESPN after 20 years where it started as an incredible acrobatic basketball technological advancement in content generation around the sport. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, you just had a run on ESPN. It is back. One, um... This happened 20 years ago when Slam Ball was first on television. Um, what took so long for it to come back? <laughs> Great question. Um, I guess it was a little bit of a disconnect with our original distributor. Um, we were on Spike TV. It was kind of their signature show. They loved it because it, 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 it is, was and is, as you said, kind of a futuristic sport. Um, combining the cultures of basketball and football and a little bit of hockey and a little bit of gymnastics and a little bit of pretty much anything else you can think of, um, full contact, aerial, acrobatics, and so forth. Um, it made for a great show, and we were on Spike in a packaged format that really felt like more of a TV program than an authentic sport. And that was our goal. Um, we've been fortunate enough to create a lot of TV shows, a lot of documentaries, a lot of movies never created a legitimate sport. And that was the goal, was to put this thing on the landscape, kind of like the way UFC invaded the, the boxing world. Um, we sort of look at slam ball to basketball in a, in a, in a similar kind of vein. Um, and so we kind of drifted out in the wilderness looking for new ways to regenerate this in a, in a, with a little more of a uh, authentic sport vibe. We ended up in China. We ended up coming back several years later with, with other uh, investors. Um, and ultimately, um, during the pandemic, it suddenly took off like wildfire on social media. There was a hashtag bring back slam ball that generated 200 and some million views. I think it's up to about half a billion by now. Huh. And it made us realize, well, maybe the time has come because live sports is now king on, on networks and streaming platforms. It's the only thing that people really watch in the non-time-shifted universe. Maybe we figured it was time to bring back slam ball. What is the challenge when you're thinking about putting on a competitive sport as opposed to putting on something that is pure entertainment and is really just produced as a television show? People need to know, first and foremost, that it is authentic and legitimate. Um, and one thing that has really helped our cause in that sense is that 
we have now, I think, become the quickest sport to get approved by U.S. integrity for betting lines. So we are in Vegas, of course, the betting capital of the world. Um, Circa is one of our primary sponsors, and they are now putting lines on the games. You can bet to the favorites, you can bet over-unders, you can bet money lines. Um, and that gives us a certain sense of credibility and authenticity. All the games are live. There are standings, there are stats, there is merchandise. There are all the attendant things that, that, that lead to fan engagement. That's what ultimately this is really about, is bringing fans into the mix where they are identifying with the mob or the rumble or the slashers. They have favorite players. Um, kids are you know, pleading with their dads to, to buy them a sweatshirt or a hat uh, or a hoodie from their favorite team. Um, and suddenly it you know, takes its place on the, on the sports landscape. Um, do you envision this having the type of lore that End One had that is star driven? Is it team driven? Is it sport driven? How, how do you kind of view that? You know, we have this thing we like to say: our our seven seconds are better than yours. Um, <laughs> we're kind of we're kind of <laughs> highlights driven, um, social media driven. I mean, that's what got us here. We saw the clamor. I mean, bring back slam ball. Okay, so we went to the investment community and we oversubscribed our Series A. And here we are with guys who, you know, are Michael Rubin, who runs Fanatics, a $30 billion inter- enterprise. We have owners of the 76ers basketball team. We have Gary Vee. We have Blake Griffin, perennial all-star NBA player, and so forth. Um, and, 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 and so it, if you watch it, it's kind of infectious in a good way. Not contagious, but irresistible. It's, it's, the highlights are so awe-inducing. And the contact is so full force. Where do you get that? I mean, you know, the, the violence is backed off in football now for good reason. And we support that. And our guys wear helmets and we're very, very careful. And actually, the injuries are way sparser and less frequent than you think, considering all the contact. But we have a certain kind of athlete who maybe slipped through the cracks and wasn't quite tall enough, maybe, um, for the NBA, um, not big enough for the NFL or whatever it is but they're fierce and they're fearless and they're ferocious and they go to the rim with abandon and they don't mind really putting their bodies at risk. And it just creates this, you got to see this kind of vibe. So I think it is really an infectious viral sort of thing where um, slam ball will slowly hopefully build up steam. We have a two year deal with ESPN. We're coming up to the finals um, August 15th of the playoffs and August 17th this coming Thursday are the finals, and then we have another um, commitment from from ESPN for next summer. So we have a long lead time to generate sponsorships, fan engagement, um, hopefully build a landscape where slam ball belongs. All right, so why didn't you give up on this? How did you hang on to this for all of this time? (laughs) You know, it's a a fair question. Um, You know, we have a saying in our office, project may seem dead, but it's not necessarily out of it. It's, a, it's an old Monty Python sketch I like to borrow from. Um, we have movies that were in development for 15 years, series that we've been developing for eight or 10 years before they actually hit the airwaves. Mason Gordon, who is really the rocket scientist who came up with the idea, brought me a napkin more than 20 years ago. And I saw not only this crazy primitive drawing, but I saw his passion. And, you know, he, this is a guy who wears it on his sleeve. He actually was one of the original players in the first iteration of Slam Ball. And Mason became a great producer with us and has been part of our MSM team making documentaries and films with us for two decades now. But 
it never didn't work. It just didn't quite fit in. It was square peg round hole stuff back in the, in the Spike TV days. But as I saw this um, landscape of secondary and tertiary sports, I mean, cornhole and pickleball and what I consider participatory sports getting lots of airtime, yeah. I realized that it's a media-driven universe and our sport is just so damn fun to watch that we should keep going. And sooner or later, you know, the universe spoke to us and said, Bring it back. This is not pickleball, though. That is, that is for sure. What you're producing and putting out there, like I, I hear you on the niche, like participatory sports. Most people can't do this. So this is a very yeah. different entertainment offering that you're putting out there. For sure. No septuagenarians playing yeah. slam ball. But we get the notion that playing a game inspires interest in watching a game. And so... Part of the long-range plan is to seed neighborhoods with slam ball courts, whether it's in a rec center or a nearby gym or in a, in a you know in a in a playground. Um, I was around. I grew up in Philadelphia, and I was around when the NHL expanded, and Philadelphia got a professional hockey team, and we had bake sales and car washes and collected money however we could to build a hockey rink in the arena, and it was kind of like you you sign up for an hour of ice time and it might be three in the morning, but it was so treasured that we did whatever it took and playing hockey, just putting on the gloves and getting out there on the ice increased our interest in watching the flyers who ultimately won a couple of championships, which mm. didn't hurt either. So we're going to try to do that. It's just that the participants are, are, <laughs> are going to be a younger demo. I do think kids can play. I do think women can play. And we've been having high level conversations with, sports execs about a women's team, probably 2025 in our landscape. Um, but I think it's, you know, kids maybe 12 and up and, and women and athletes who are, as I said, fierce, fearless, and ferocious. Um, 20 years has passed. Technology has changed dramatically. This show focuses a lot on the technological advances in big time sports. Um, take me through some of the things that can occur here. What is happening on the court? What kind of data are you collecting? Um, well, you know, the, the data collection is going to take place in a more robust way when we're finished the playoffs. Right now, you know, we're all consumed by uh, the seedings and the celebrity involvement and who's going to be judging the slam dunk contest and um, who's injured and who's not and, and what, what are the betting lines and so forth. Um, we, we, we change the configurations of the tramps um, after each iteration because we see what works and what doesn't. We change the rules to make sure that the flow of the game is the best possible. Uh, our, we are looking at all kinds of things in terms of how the scoring is done. You know, we have, we have a four-point shot, which no other basketball league that I know has. So this is kind of a, um, a bit of a, a groundbreaker. Um, it's three points for a dunk. If your hands touch the rim, only if your hands touch the rim. Um, there are there are a lot of rules about wh where you can hit. You know, only on on below the neck and above the waist, and not in the back. Um, but but every night is an experiment for us. And after every game, we have a post mortem and we talk about. You know, we created a rule called break it, take it, but we thought it was slowing down the game at the end, so we altered it slightly. There's a there's a rule called drifting, and whether it's stopper. We call the defensive players stoppers. It's kind of like our goaltender. Um, drifting is a is a uh, they're prohibited from drifting out 
away from the basket <clears throat> far enough to hinder the player in an advantageous way. Um, a call was made the other night that we thought was wrong. It might have cost the game to the Ozone. We're reviewing it today. We might actually put out a release that we missed the call and we apologize. We want people to know that we're, you know, make, making judgments on the fly and try, trying to improve the game. So um, improving, the t- improving the ankle braces um, for, for guys for support, improving the padding and the helmet, helmets that the guys wear, and, and, and helping them stay on their heads because they've been flying all over the place. I think we've fixed that problem. So, you know, we will con- continue to tweak and continue to take advantage of what the data is telling us and um, what the technology allows. Um, I would imagine that you have a lot of options with camera technology. Presentation mm-hmm. here is going to matter to you. As you put it very well, your seven seconds are better than everyone's el- everyone else's. Um how are you thinking about camera point of view, whether it's on the participant, angles you're using? How are you thinking about presentation of the sport right now? Um, thinking about everything. Um, currently, we have a helmet cam. Um, <clears throat> generally, one player per game, sometimes one player per team, um, will wear helmet cam. Um, we are embedding microphones on one player per team so we can pick up the sound during the game. We have microphones on, on coaches as well. Um, we have cameras embedded in the tramps. So we have cameras under the, uh, under the spring bed. So you get this, you know, the opposite of a drone. Um, you're, you're getting below the surface and looking straight up. We can't actually do drones here in Vegas because of the proximity to the airport, believe it or not. Um, but we do have what we call jibs, which are cameras kind of on cranes and they swing 30, 40 feet in the air. And so they can, um, they can pan across the court and they can, um, boom up and down. Um, we, um, we are, um, also experimenting with cameras in the, we have cameras um, behind the backboard and we're experimenting with smaller ones that could, you know, uh, go on the refs. We haven't done the refs yet, but we have, um, probably a dozen live microphones. Um, so, um, yeah, we're continuing to explore and, and build new ways of um, watching the sport. All right, Mike, I'll let you go on this. I, I just have one posterity question. I, I have to ask you about The Last Dance, um, which obviously was a fantastic production that occurred. But what I want to ask you about is it, it wasn't just that you had all this incredible footage and, and you helped put together what was the final season for Michael Jordan with the Chicago Bulls. It was released during the pandemic when there was literally no other sports going on. Um, I think you guys knew you had a, a hit. Um, how did you kind of view being the literal only must-watch sports program at that time? Well, it was a, uh, a, a crazy, uh, crazy stew. Um, the world was upside down. Um, there was a clamor. To, uh, it's funny uh, thinking about it when I when I said you know hashtag bring back slam ball there was more than a hashtag there was an overwhelming clamor um, to bring the last dance um, to uh, a world with no live sports you know after I believe Friday the 13th um, in, in March of 2020 things were closed down um, the final four March Madness was canceled and the NBA season was postponed. And, you know, people like LeBron James were 
posting to you know hundreds of millions of social media followers saying we need the last dance. Everybody knew it was coming. Um, so obviously, you know, there was a clearing there and, and and a need for something. And it was on Sunday nights and it became family viewing. And I've heard from so many my kids or my wife or people in the family who never would have watched the basketball game um, were drawn to this. Um, I think it was really the uh, boundless charisma and magnetism of Michael Jordan by and large, you know, that, that brought people there. And then the great work of uh, our director, Jason Hare, and the full team to make this compelling drama. Um, we did a couple of interesting things in terms of um, uh, multiple timelines going back and forth from the season that was the last dance, 1997-98, going back and forth um, between the, the micro drama of that season and the macro look at Michael Jordan's life and the lives of some of these others. We had an incredible cast. I mean, to have Phil Jackson as the coach and Michael Jordan supported by teammates like Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Steve Kerr and on and on. Um, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm. And, you know, sometimes uh, <laughs> things don't work out as well as you hope. And sometimes they work out better than you would have even dared dream. Mike Tolan is a producer and the co-founder of Slam Ball, which made its return to ESPN this summer. Thank you so much for joining us. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. On the next Future Sport Podcast, a solution to turn a blacktop into a multi-sport playground. I, I kind of started by by starting by I started by founding over under initiative, thinking, well, parks and rec groups are gonna say, of course, yeah, this is great, and I'm just gonna find the company that makes these and we're gonna install them. And that didn't didn't really go go that way. And- That's Kyle Martino, former US national team player who has a mission to help all neighborhoods experience access to sports. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.